0: Live from Salt Lake City, this is Heart of the Matter, where we do all we can to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm your host, Sean McCraney, and why don't we pray? Father, we thank you for life. We thank you for your son. We thank you for the spirit. We're grateful that we uh, have the word to uh, help us know you better. We pray that you'll open up our eyes and ears to you, Lord, as we seek you. And uh, bless those who volunteer and, and participate in the ministry in a number of different ways. Help Derek to find the screw that just dropped out of a light, and uh, everyone's looking for it right now. And uh, we just need you in everything we do, is manifested by the prayer, in Jesus' name, amen. I I swear to you, I pray like that. If I can't do so, I just pray, and and I think it works. I really do. Seen it work. Anyway, uh, we have a new spot for our frequently asked questions. Here we go. I read the King James Version, but I think any Bible that a person will read is acceptable because you got to get a Bible that you want to read, and the King James is tough for people. But I read what's called the Thompson Chain Version of the King James, and the reason I do that is because there's no commentary in it. It's just the Scripture cross-referenced with Scripture, and that way you learn the whole Bible. But any version is a great version if you'll pick it up and read it. Yes, it is. And, you know, last week we had a guest impromptu came on, Larry Livingston. And I've thought about it. we've had emails and calls and different comments about Larry. And I thought a lot about it. And it was nice to talk with him, etc. But I'm not bagging on him because he's not here. I would say this to him. But one thing that was a little disappointing to me in talking with Larry, and he was probably disappointed with things I said, was I gave him at the end, I really hoped, 'Cause he was really making some good sense about a lot of things and I really hope that at the end he was just going to praise Jesus when I asked him, Hey, when you go before God, you know, and he says, if he does, you know, hey Larry, why should you come into the kingdom? And uh and Larry's response was, Well, I prayed to you and I did what you told me to do, and I tried and 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 I had to prod him a little bit. Well what else? And well, and then and then well, I think it was one more time, and then finally said, well, Jesus, of course. And and I, I just there, I just want to point out that if you don't know LDS people, uh, unless they're trained apologists, typically you will find that kind of response. If you ask a Christian, and I don't care the denomination, if you ask somebody who's been born again and who loves the Lord, why, when you go before God, would he, would if he asked you, should you? They'll just cut you off. Jesus. I mean, it's just Jesus. And that's such an important message. And I really hope that someday that that will overflow in Larry and that that will be the first thing off his lips. It's not, you know, it's not whether he's going to heaven or not. That's just a little insight that, that kind of troubled me. Got an email from someone say, talking about the whole uh, degradation of what seems to be my theology, my countenance, and my mission. Um, this was from a, a brother uh, who s- said this, and I read this email at 5.25 in the morning, uh, and I laid there in bed till 7.15. I, I usually don't stay in bed that late, but uh, and I was talking to God about it, and I, maybe you do that. I realize that this is an opinion of me, but I, I really took that critique to heart because... I get it quite frequently, you know, you're, you've fallen away, you, uh, your appearance, the appearance thing's always been there, and your theology and your mission, and why don't you go back to doing this, and so God, you know, I've, am I degraded, have I degraded in these areas, have I lost my way, and I, I'm serious, I'm talking to him, I, I want to know. And the email continued, and it said, don't think that Christ came to throw away the law, and uh, Instead to fulfill and as well in and through our lives, not to tear down and just make some mental based Christians alone, tearing through the Bible, trying to figure it all out. He's still a God of order. And from what I can see when I watch you, it looks like you're searching for order and almost leadership in some way or form. And you're banging on the bashing, banging on the Bible continually to try to establish it and then establish it to work for you somehow. The last paragraph made some sense to me because I I, I know how James is seeing it and I understand why he might be seeing me in that light relative to the Bible. I'll talk about that in just a second. He says, maybe you're realizing that you're not able to at this point to do this. So now you're just compromising and it's a message out of frustration. The Bible is not meant for you to use it in this way. The principles are eternal. I agree with that. He goes on, don't lean on your own understanding and you'll find your theology and other things will sort themselves out. gives me a lot of advice And he ends with maybe just take some time away from the Bible and pray and meditate on the Lord himself. He has a lot of different insights and uh, hard as it was to read in many ways. I appreciated the email greatly because it causes us to shine a light in the heart. It causes us to reflect upon what we're doing. And when you get them, you have to say, if you're if you're seeking to really be right with God and with others, you know, where am I off? So I thought long and hard about this you may not have noticed because I ran through the email quickly, but James presented me with a number of challenges. Some of them were accusatory and others were based on some assumptions that he was making. And we make assumptions. I do it all the time and of, of things he thought maybe he knew about me. And as I contemplated about what he wrote, I was unaware of some of the... Th- I think he was unaware of some things about me. For instance, he says a couple of times that it's his opinion that I am without law. Now... Uh, I, as a believer, I have two very, very, very strong laws in me. Uh, And the first one is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the second one is to love God and to love man. Those two laws. So I'm not lawless at all. When it comes to my behaviors out in the world, I gauge them by my faith and my love. And if something is not loving, I try to correct that. Now, I don't have other laws. And I don't go by other rules and laws, but I do go by what is loving and what is based in faith. James also suggested, I would encourage you as a friend of Christ to go back to some of the foundations that you had once had. uh, uh, Maybe things that you would even consider rules and laws to give your proper walk balance. That's a quote. Uh, He wants me to go back to something that's going to give my walk proper balance is how he put it. Uh, So I ask, would that be going back to Mormonism? That would probably, you know, outwardly make me more balanced in people's eyes. I mean, I would certainly look differently. I'd get the laser removal and I'd, I'd cut the hair and grow it normally and do all those things. So I'd get rid of this because that's satanic. And uh, I would do all those types of things that make people think that I'm good outwardly. Uh, Or when I go back to Christianity, evangelical Christianity, you know, I'm still a Christian, but go back to my early years in Christianity. Let me let you in on a little secret. When I was LDS and also when I embraced evangelical Christianity, the laws and rules that were given to me in both of those institutions and approaches uh, made me more sinful and more arrogant, and more fleshly, not less. Uh, The laws you are recommending, my brother, make us all sinners. It makes me especially a sinner. And so in my present state, what you call degraded, right now, and I say this honestly before God as my witness, I have never in my life been less sinful and more close to the God of heaven in my life since I was eight years old, six years old. I have never been less sinful and closer to God in all of my walking life. Uh, My degraded theology causes me to worship God and His Son, Jesus Christ, more naturally and honestly than ever before. My degraded countenance is a reflection of my desire to just be what I am and just be that and not care about anything else. And finally, your confusion about the Bible, I have to admit. I this is how I see it and then we'll go we'll move forward. The Bible is the most valuable material possession outside of human beings that we have in this world as a map to the individual I cannot stress the importance of that book in a person's life more. Never. But simultaneously, I will make it confusing and say it should never be used as a manual that creates infighting and arrogance. And so at the risk of being paradoxical and confusing, that's the stance. I love it, but I hate it when it's misused. And I just think that, so we talk about that, and uh, that makes it difficult. Anyway, uh, he goes on and on. He writes a lot more. And I'm not going to cover it, but I just wanted to cover those highlights that James had to give in that email. And with that, how about a moment from The Word?
1: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold... A white horse.
0: Some people have asked, that's Johnny Cash reading the book of Revelation before he sings a song on his, anyone know the t- album title? Uh, can't remember the album title. It's, it's one that he recorded uh, just days before he died, actually. Uh, so I want to present something really basic from the world. It's a reiteration, but it's, it takes the Bible to some limits here and that are often neglected or forgotten. All human beings, we are creations of God. The one God. And this is important in the LDS dialogue. We are creations. He is the father of all creation. We are his creatures. Some people will use the term child, but we're not children of God by virtue of us being created by him. There's a way that we become God's children that's really made plain in Scripture. Galatians 3, 26 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. We are not born his children, we are born creations. We become his children, God's children by faith. So by looking at his son in faith, all people can become the children of God. Okay? And then Paul writes in Romans 8:17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. Joint heirs with Christ. I, I talk about it a lot because it's really overlooked. If we, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. So this suffering that's required to be a joint heir with Christ is made possible by and through the Spirit, working on our flesh. Our flesh wants to do something. The Spirit tones us down. The Spirit says, love others. Don't be selfish. And we're suffering when we do that. We want to retaliate. We suffer and hold it. We want to get vengeance. We suffer with that. Uh, but... We are empowered by our belief to become sons and daughters. We are empowered. John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons and daughters of God, even to them that believe on his name. That is given to us by our faith. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what? To suffer. And through that suffering, we become joint heirs, we become sons, we become daughters, by dying to the flesh and living to the Spirit. This power to become sons and daughters of God is a very different thing from being a child of God. And there's a marked difference between them in Scripture. Between a child, technon, that's what you're called when you believe on Jesus, and a son, (huios), which is a very different Greek term, and they mean very different things. So I'm going to use uh, Paul. I think, I hope I haven't done this on the show before. Galatians 4.1 lays this out really beautifully. We did this in campus a number of weeks ago. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Do you understand what he's saying there? That when, a, when there is a, a child who's the child of a king, and that child is the heir to the throne, as long as that child is still a child, he is under servants' cares, care, and he is not sitting on the throne. He goes on and says, but this child is under tutors and governors until the time appointed by the father of the child, the king. Even so, we, when we were children we were in bondage to the elements of the world. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So, and we are given the power to become those sons under the governors and tutors, is what Paul is saying. And because you are sons, God has sent forth his spirit of his son, the spirit of his son, notice that, Into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And then we could add Paul's other words uh, from another passage. If we suffer with him, that's the contingency. This is a perfect segue into the next part that we just started discussing two weeks ago that's on the board. And so let's go to the board. I'm going to stand up there, and we'll work through this. And I promise you, if you stick with me through Matthew 5, if you're following along at home through the Scripture, uh, turn to Matthew 5, because um, it's remarkable uh, how God works and what we're going to discover through that. Now, we are discussing this thing that uh, I talked about a while ago. I created this... uh, This, uh, whatever it is, symbol symbol, uh, a long time ago to help me explain how God is working through Christ to redeem human beings. And I think, as I said before, it's because my LDS days, we used to draw this two-dimensional thing when we were teaching people about the plan of salvation. And as a Christian, I wondered, is there some two-dimensional way that I can explain the plan of salvation. I've actually shared this with somebody years ago and sat down with them, and at the end of it, they said, I want that. They pointed to where Christ was. They were born again. They're Christians today. Use this thing to, not this exact thing, but a paper to show it. So let's talk about this for a minute. We have all this on the board. I don't know if Derek's focused in on it, but... We established that human beings were made of clay, original man, Adam, body, Sarks in Greek, soul, Suke in Greek, and spirit. God breathed the pneuma, that's what it says, and into the clay, and Adam became a living soul. That's how it worked, okay? And so we talked about there being three parts in one. We noted that Adam, though made in three parts, and these were all together, there's no black line here, he sinned. And he introduced sin into the world. And so there was a spiritual death. And all of us were left operating on just two parts of our person, our body, and our soul. And we talked about what that all meant. And then we said, men will say, you know, because the the soul is described as mind, will, and emotion. They'll say, you know, I think I want to do this. I feel like I should do this. My will, I'm going to do this. And then we use our body to do it. And that's a fallen state. That's a fallen way to live in this this world. Now, I labeled this world the realm of happiness. And I suggested that everything that people do in this area specifically makes them personally happy, even if it's deleterious to their lives. Some people take heroin because it makes them happy. So they're doing something negative in terms of consequences with their body down here, and they like it. That's why they do it. When they stop liking it, they'll stop doing it. You get it? So other people say, I wanna be very proper. I wanna be a proper person. So I will get a formal education. I will go to a proper church and I will do this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this, many, many things on the positive consequence side because it makes them happy, whatever it is. It's the realm of happiness. Happiness, Uh, so happiness. Not me, you. Okay, people who want to do positive things with the body down in this area, they're into nutrition and exercise. And then people who have bad mind, will, and emotion, they're anarchists and they're gangsters and they're criminals. Okay, we've got that. And we notice that no matter what you do down here, whether it's positive or whether it's negative, it's all still spiritually dead. Because this is the realm of the spirit and we are blocked from it. We're born in this state with this body and soul. So we live for happiness, constantly searching for happiness. Oh, it's a dreaded pursuit because you can never grasp the thing. The high only lasts so long. The degree only gets you so far. You can only exercise for so many hours in a day. Then what? You see? And so, they, you know, this is really flat but you know people are doing all things in all these areas to keep themselves happy typically and you know it just doesn't work so we said that this isn't a judgment even though we know things are bad and good but this is that this is consequences there's consequences to actions in this area and there's consequences to actions in that area I maintained, I personally believe that people do exactly what they want in that area. Some people like to do what's with their body and soul and whatever it is. So we then explained, no matter what someone does down here, these are non-believers, not born-again people, they are still fallen. They're in a state of spiritual darkness. So we titled this part Spiritually Dark, though it's called the realm of happiness. It's spiritually dark. And we noted how those who are in when Jesus came, we put his doorway right here. And when he opens that door then the light from the spirit realm shines down and we notice that it shines most brightly straight down and it works mostly on the people who are most corrupt in their flesh and in their souls. And then it starts to diffuse and becomes less and less effective as we get over into people who are accomplished, which is why Jesus says it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than uh, than the camel to go through the eye of the needle. See, so over here, really tough for someone to see the light of Jesus and this is why it's tough to reach people who are accomplished and why it's so much easier to reach people who are broken by the negative consequences of the actions of their lives. What happens with people over in this area is this big five letter word called pride and pride does not let them see the need. They've got an education. They've got a good job. They're making good money. And so they have pride. What do they need to go into this for? The realm of happiness has supplied them with everything they've got. So that's where we left off. Okay. Yeah. Jesus says, come to me. I'll give you rest. And now we're going to talk about what it looks like to enter in. Our subject is the Christian walk to enter into the realm of the Spirit. And I'm going to take something straight from Scripture that Jesus taught to show his mastery uh, as a teacher. You're going to be blown away with this, okay? So turn to Matthew chapter 5. We call this area the realm of joy. This is spiritual light up here, okay? And remember that we marked the areas, the realm in the realm of happiness in positive and negative terms. Well, in the realm of joy, there are still negatives and positives, but they just don't work out the same way as you might think. You want to see how they work out? Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Here, Jesus, it says, and seeing the multitudes, verse 1, he went up to a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came to him. So this was a teaching to his disciples, not to everybody. And he opened his mouth and taught them. And he teaches them eight principles or eight characteristics of what it's like to live in the realm of joy, in the realm of light. But they're very counterintuitive to what you might think. They absolutely go against what happens in the realm of happiness in what he says. But let's see what he says. And let's go to the first one. He says first, blessed are the poor in spirit, poor in spirit. He says, and the blessed is a joyous happiness. It's not the kind of happiness we're talking about here. It's a happiness that comes from joy. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the Greek word for poor here is patukos, And it comes from the word of a beggar and a pauper. It comes from someone really who crouches down and looks up. That's where it comes from. So we note a couple things about this. First, like all the rest that Jesus says here, he says this person is happy in a joyous sense and they're poor in spirit. And we also note that he says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That means it's written in the Greek in the first person present indicative and it means it's a present state. When they enter in through Christ and they're poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It is. They are born again. They go to heaven. It's theirs. Okay? And finally, we note that it's not really a positive saying, is it? So I've put it over here on the negative side. Because it's it's kind of a loss of some sort. We're like beggars. And that's not a real natural place to be, especially coming from life down here. We're not used to wanting to be beggars. We wanna be something better. But here, he says, blessed are those who are begging God for spiritual things. It's a beautiful little thing, got that? Number two, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now I'm putting mourn, of course, on the negative side because it's there that that we are suffering somehow. We are mourning and we are experiencing a loss. The word means to grieve. He says, happy and joyful are you in this state. You've received Christ. You've come out of a life of crime and drugs and whatever else. You've entered into the spiritual walk. And he says, blessed are those who mourn. Perhaps they are mourning over the time they spent in the world or their lives beforehand, or maybe their mourning of the loss of friends or an occupation or job for receiving Christ. Who knows? Walking from the realm of happiness can be a mournful experience for some people because they had things going down here that they thought was good. When they enter here, sometimes it doesn't sink in yet how valuable this realm really is. Now, we note here that Jesus says theirs is the kingdom of heaven for those who are poor in spirit, But those who mourn, he says, shall. It's a future tense. It's not immediate. And he says, they shall be comforted. Okay? So there's a promise in the future of the mourning that comes here. But it's not an immediate promise. This is the only immediate promise we have so far is the poor in spirit. Then he comes right out and he says, blessed are the meek. I'm going to put it over here under the suffering loss because the meek again shall, it's a future tense. And he's saying they shall not that there's is, but he says those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. Christian meekness comes with a future promise and those who possess it shall inherit, shall, Doty shall inherit the earth. Now, I would suggest that becoming meek is a sign and symbol of the Spirit abiding and beginning to reign, okay? The person who starts to get here, and I think we're seeing an order here. I think we've been poor in spirit. We've come out of the world. I think we've mourned a lot. I think we're starting to say, you know, I gotta meek it up here. I am not all that. In fact, I'm finding that my walk in this is is not as hardy as I thought it was. I'm beginning to become meek, and Jesus says, they shall inherit the earth. And so I place it on the lost side. At this point, we're discovering, I would suggest, an order that Jesus is presenting these in. It's not arbitrary, it's not just a laundry list. He's teaching us something. And He's teaching us about the Christian walk, about how it goes, all right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Then blessed those who, are, who mourn, probably because they've been poor in spirit and they're looking back at the evil they've done or some kind of loss. And then blessed are the meek, perhaps because they've been mourning and they've been poor in spirit. Now they're meek. We are witnessing in and through these descriptions a deconstruction of this world in the flesh. It's starting to fade away a little bit, okay? Okay. Once in place, I believe Jesus now, he's going to start building us back up. He says, you you enter into this, you're going to mourn, you're going to be poor in spirit, you're going to be meek. And this is flat and and two-dimensional. It has three-dimensional sides to it. Don't take it literally. We know a lot is going on at the same time. But in this teaching, he's giving us an order. So now he says, the next one, what is it? Blessed are those who do hunger... And thirst after righteousness that's a positive action that's an add to that's doing something and he's saying you're you're hungering and now you're thirsting you've already been here you know that you need more you can't go back to this you don't want to exit back out the door and drop down though we do you don't want to go back into this realm so blessed are those who now after they've done these things they're starting to hunger and thirst for righteousness replacing all that they were about before. And this stuff, none of it is righteousness. Understand that. When you're spiritually dead, it doesn't matter if you're here or it doesn't matter if you're here, you're dead. Okay, so remember that we're hungry and thirsty. We've been poor in spirit. Something was totally absent from our lives down here, righteousness. Now we start to hunger and thirst after it. After that, Jesus gives us number five. He says, and another positive, blessed are the merciful. Wow, you know, we're hungering and thirsty after righteousness. And now we start to look around at others. Maybe we start to look at people down here and we start to say, I need to have mercy. Before, maybe over here, who knows, maybe in this area we were judging All those rotten this or that. Maybe now we're starting to say, I'm hungry and thirsting, and God has making me merciful and looking upon people who came from where I came from and starting to, to get this mercy. And he says, for they shall, what's the mercy? They shall obtain mercy. They'll obtain the very thing that they have. This is a shall as well. It's future tense. So two more shalls. It's a future tense. We've hungered and desired righteousness. And in doing so, we've seen the importance of mercy because our righteousness is as filthy rags. And they were once again promised to receive mercy in the future because we've embraced mercy. And Jesus says, joyously happy are you for doing it. Once we find ourselves being merciful, which is a product of our seeing the need for ourselves to have mercy because of where we came from, We come to six and that is blessed are the pure in heart. And again, it's a shall, it's a future, but it's a positive. Now God is starting to work deeper and, and, and we're not just hungering and thirsting for righteousness and we haven't just become merciful in our actions. Now he's digging deep. Now He's purifying the heart. Now he's getting rid of the mind, will, and emotion, the fallen stuff that put us in here. He's starting to take it away from us, and he's starting to help us see. Look at here is the purpose of being a Christian. And he lays it all out. He brings a true, valiant Christian. Plus, plus, plus. I've, they've lost. They've grown. They're really good. And then he brings the number seven, and he says, Now blessed are the peacemakers. They shall see God, and it shall again. Another future promise. Be, they shall be be the children of God. Excuse me. They shall be the children of God. So we have seen a progress here. You don't become an automatic peacemaker when you're a Christian. It takes time before that sinks in. If you've come out of a former faith like I have, I was not a peacemaker for a long time. And it was wartime with everybody. But slowly but surely, the Spirit is working in us, and He gets it going and we become pure in heart. And when our heart has been pure, we start to wanna make peace with everybody. You start to wanna say, we don't need to have these differences anymore. We can break this down. You've seen that happen even to me on the air and what what I've gone through. And I didn't follow this like saying, okay, I gotta do this next. It's just happened, right? So if Jesus stopped here, we might just all think, well, we've arrived. I'm just the greatest peacemaker. And I can do it, and I have the Christian walk down. But he drops a bomb on us now. And he says to those who think, okay, I've really arrived, I've got my Christian walk down. And number eight gives us more passages to it, the eighth principle, than anything else. He says, now finally, a plus. Blessed are they that are persecuted. And he says, for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he says, blessed are ye when men shall, he goes on, when men shall revile you and persecute and shall say all manner evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they person the prophet prophets that were before you. This is the height of the Christian walk. I mean, we've suffered loss. We've mourned. We've been poor in spirit. We're meek. We have grown. We've hungered and thirsted after righteousness. We've become merciful. Our hearts have become more pure, right? And we become peacemakers as a result. And at this point, it's as if Jesus says, okay, let's put it all to a test now. You're really doing great. Now let's have someone start to persecute you. That's how people start, probably people from the faith, start to pick on you and persecute you for righteousness sake. I suggest that this is the true test of the Christian when ye, you and me are tried and tested for doing the things that we believe are right and righteous with God and we're persecuted for it, and, and then we are left when men shall revile you and persecute you and eat all manner of evil against you for his sake. And at this point, many people fail. And what happens when they fail? A Christian, after they fail from being persecuted, someone persecutes them for righteousness' sake, and the Christian tells them to F off. What happens to that Christian is they drop right back down here. And they're pouring spirit again. And they're, oh, God, help me. I can't believe I told him to F off. And they begin to mourn. And we become meek again. And we start to come up. And we start to hunger, and right? And we move back up. And he does it again. And he does it again. And he does it again. Sometimes with trips down here. And he does it again. And he just keeps going. We see the infinity sign there. Working us getting to us, helping us not to make so many trips down here, helping us to realize that ours is the kingdom of heaven if we're persecuted unto death. If we reach that level, ours is the kingdom of heaven, but it's no different than us when we entered into the kingdom when we were poor in spirit. There isn't a meritorious system going on where he's saying, okay, great rewards for you. You got here and you here. Ours is the kingdom of heaven when we enter, and ours is the kingdom of heaven if we suffer persecution for his sake. It's the same, but he is trying to grow us in our Christian walk through this means. The goal using this form is here. It's the northeast quadrant. And it's the area that I call, I call this thing, the fourth dimension Christian. That's what this is. Next week, I'll explain what, how those dimensions work through this, and then we'll wrap it up, and the year, talking about the Christian walk. Let's open up the phone lines. What is the phone number? 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413. 801-590-8413, and while the operators are clearing more calls, let's take a call from Keith from Elizabethtown, or Elizabeth, New Jersey. Keith, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I just want to thank
1: you. Um, I'm part of the LGBT LGBTPI community and I've taken to heart your teaching that we should be led by the Spirit personally and not by, uh, not by law and by other men teaching us. So after searching the scriptures and praying, uh, my three sisters and I are getting married and we're moving to the Netherlands to open an afterbirth abortion clinic. Uh, Christians used to tell us that we were wrong, but after listening to you discuss being led by the Spirit personally without listening to others and uh, being uh, taught by others, uh, my sisters and I feel very confident in this course of action. So uh, we, we just want to thank you.
0: You're welcome. You've been given the freedom by God to do what you want. You're a follower of Christ. Yeah. You have a Bible. You read it. You're responsible before Him. You interpret it that I, I, way, I, I, and everything. I he's, my sisters and, and yeah. kill babies. It, that's that's your prerogative. I mean, I don't wow. see. I don't. Wait, this isn't a true story. <laughs> it's just ridiculous. It's illegal. <laughs> Why? What do, you, what, do you, what do you? What do you want, what do you want me to crazy. say? Wait, wait. What do you want me to say? Hey, you need to stop Paul, that right now. What, what Paul said. What Paul said. You Paul, read, you read, wait, you read what Paul says, right? You believe and you read what Paul says, don't you? Yep. He,
1: he kicked people out of the church for the very thing I just, you just uh, applauded. Let,
0: let us play this all the way out, Keith. You said uh-huh. that you are a believer and you read the word uh-huh. by the Spirit. I have nothing to say to you. Nothing. So you have claimed. Can do anything.
1: What anybody will I can do? Anything. They can murder babies and they can have They do anyway, and you're saying it's okay.
0: We, I'm not saying it's okay. I say it's between you and God. So you're, no, you've there's absolutely. No, there's no
1: consequences, right?
0: What's that? Oh, there's I mean, consequences. To,
1: there's to Paul, consequences it, right?
0: to everything we do, but we are responsible. Now, listen. If you told me, hey, I am not a believer in Christ and I am gonna go do these things, I would say, well, the book I read tells us that those things probably shouldn't be done. But you've told Uh. me, you've told me you're a believer in Christ who reads the Bible. I'm not gonna, who am I? Sean McCraney's sitting here, I have the right to say, wait a second. Because what happens there, Keith, is then everybody says wait a second to everything everybody does along the way. Let's get rid uh-huh. of your extreme example and let's just talk about someone who says, What if I say we need to be baptized by immersion, darn it? By immersion. There's gonna be people uh-huh. who are going to say no, the Bible says. That's my point. Uh-huh. I th- yeah, I think I think yep. you've actually helped me prove my point.
1: Not at all. Not at all. How have you, didn't you proved the difference? You're doing the exact opposite of Paul. You're not
0: following the scriptures. Wait a second. Pretty obvious. Wait, a f- Other people
1: notice this call. This is
0: absurd. No, wait. Give me the absurdity of it. What? What is absurd about it that you have told me you're a Christian, you've told me you're led by the Spirit, and that you read the Bible. Where's the absurdity okay. in me saying, have at it, buddy. You say you're a Christian and you love Jesus and you read the Bible and you're going to do that? That's your choice. I'm huh? not the Gestapo. Huh? What? So if, if they... What's this?
1: What? Okay, let, let's say the terrorist out in Berlin. We found out he was a Macranius Christian, and uh, he was following your, your teachings. he said, I can do whatever I want now. I, I, I read the Bible and I'm led by the Spirit. I want to mow down, mow down people in Berlin. You say, oh, okay, well, you claim Christ okay. and you read the Bible, Wait. you're led by the Spirit, Wait. do
0: who, as you will. Who is this person in Berlin? I didn't, I didn't get that.
1: Ber- Berlin, the terrorist attack that just happened yesterday in Berlin.
0: Oh, I see. If the guy I, was a, I,
1: was a I, Christian said, I'm led by the Spirit. I can do whatever I want.
0: You can do you whatever say, you well, want, you claim, brother. You That's the Christ point. You read the
1: Bible? You can't. You, you can, you can that,
0: that guy can do whatever he wants. He can have <laughs> at it. I don't have the uh, right okay. to. What, what do you mean, okay? What? what can I do to stop the guy in Berlin from claiming to be a Christian and go and kill people? Uh? What can I do?
1: Well, you do it. Well, this is the scripture is the excommunicated people.
0: You're, okay, so I'm going to sit over here and excommunicate somebody from what?
1: Well, that's the real question, is who has the authority to excommunicate, right?
0: What would that do, excommunicating that person? What's it going to do? You are just playing church. You're just assigning all that stuff still to something you think is viable and that there's we're all getting along and it's working. It's not working. It never has worked. Oh,
1: no, in, in the scriptures, you see people who split off and... Uh, heretics who went off their own way, and they went off and they faded away into the dustbin of history. And that's the church wh- itself has remained around forever.
0: There's my point. It has been around
1: for 2,000 years.
0: The heretics would We don't have
1: do- we don't have people walking around. You know, we, you don't see Nestorian uh, Catholics. You don't see Calvinist Catholics walking around, and you, and you don't see ca- uh, Catholics. The Pope saying it's okay to have sex with your sister.
0: So you're what you're doing is you're preaching to me the value of Catholicism.
1: Uh, I'm preaching the value of the scriptures and that, wait a minute, wait a minute. you pre- pre- wait, aren't you preach pre- wait,
0: aren't you preaching the value of Catholicism over Protestantism here?
1: Yeah, the Catholic Church you is are. the church founded by Christ. The Protestants yeah. split off in the sixteenth ah. century.
0: So what you're saying is that because the Catholics he split off in the Protestants, split the the co- off in the Protestants
1: five years ago.
0: Because the Catholics have established councils to determine what is truth. What you're Acts saying 15, is yeah. that's a superior way. What?
1: Yeah, it's, it's the way it's set up by the scriptures. It's uh-huh. in Acts
0: 15. <laughs> okay. That's yeah. The we see in the scriptures. And, and how has that worked for the Catholics, Keith? Acts 1.
1: How, Acts one.
0: how has it worked? Can you show
1: me, for, you show me a Nestorian Catholic? I can show you a Nestorian Protestant. I
0: can show you a Nestorian I can show you, can show you can, any you can't, type can't of me, Catholic. Can you can't
1: show me Arian?
0: Sure. Sure, you can. But here's the deal what has it done for the you Catholic can't. institution? Keith, what, one. Keith, huh? what has it done for the Catholic yes. institution? I mean, was what has, is that what, uh, uh, what has this council and their determinist views of how things should be? Because men can't decide for themselves. What has it done? Well, it's created the Eucharist. It's created worshiping Mary. It's created infant baptism. Don't it's created worship Mary. worship Mary. Okay, Go on. okay. Let's catch me on a, on on something that we can debate here. You don't worship Mary, huh? but you certainly do hold her in a place that is not scriptural. You call, you call other people father in your church when Jesus plainly said don't. I mean, I could go on and on. And, and what has it led to today? Are those, oh, uh, are those wait, guys Paul, who are following Paul you? Called co- himself, father. Wait, wait, are those, Paul called
1: himself a spiritual father.
0: Are those guys, yeah, you have an answer, I know. But are those guys yeah. under the Catholic rule of councils and order, uh, are they the ones molesting all the boys? It hasn't worked. We have, no, all no, the abortions we have the nuns had, abuse it in hasn't worked.
1: Look it up. Uh, Carol Shakeshaft was commissioned by the Department of Education to investigate that, and we have lower rates of abuse.
0: Oh uh, well, okay. Look at the whole point is this, Keith. Keith, the whole point is you've called and you believe that the answer is an institutional council's from from groups. I'm guessing like the, like the Catholic yeah. Church, not the Bible. The Catholic Church doesn't use the Bible. The Catholic Church is further from the Bible than the Protestant Church Bible in, in terms of Bible. I'm not you'll, you'll saying we wouldn't. Together. I'm not That's, saying sir, we it was, wouldn't. It was,
1: a it was councils that put your scriptures together.
0: Your councils have done nothing but bastardize the Bible. They have taken God and they've made him a trinity. Your councils have done yeah. nothing to help the cause. Your councils have polluted the truth. So I'm sorry. Everything that you've brought up, even with your trick at the beginning, has been a fail. I'm sorry, Keith.
1: No, not at all. Other people are going to know this, and it's probably going to go around the internet, that you just accepted polygamous, incestuous people bombing Berlin. This is crazy. Accepted? You go what, this accepted? Route, this, is the, this is where you end up. Accepted? This is where you end up
0: when you go. Wait, to wait, Keith. Accepted? Accepted?
1: Yeah. yeah you said no, you I just said, said there's nothing I can if, do. If I'm having sex with my sisters and having afterbirth abortion clinics. What can it's I do? okay if I call myself a Christian.
0: What can I do? You could say I'm not. Let me, let me, let me, oh, wait a second. Oh, now we're going to say who is and who isn't. I love that game. You know, within this room, not tonight, but in the room of a congregation of people, you know, we have people who Uh have done some pretty heinous things the night before coming to church. And they're Uh on that cycle where they're poor in spirit that day, rather than uh, up on the Uh other side. Is it my job to call them out for what they did the other night? Or is it my job you to, call them incre- to repentance? Yes, you know. You should repent yourself, yeah, yes. yeah. You should repent, Everybody. my brother. This is.
1: I repent. Trust yeah, I, I know. Repent. It's really easy to say it,
0: isn't it? Of course,
1: I repent. Yeah, say I it
0: repent. Is. Look, at It's all by the Spirit, my friend. It is not by counsels, uh, and it's not by the letter. It is by the Spirit, and the Spirit is love and long suffering. The fruit of the Spirit.
1: It's a false fr- It's a false dichotomy. It's not a false You're dichotomy. you the, the only and solution God people, writing scriptures, and.
0: Uh, Interpreting him in the council. I think I won it. I I do. I'm going to be like Donald Trump here. I think I won this one. Uh, uh, Yeah. Yeah, Hey, thanks for the call. See ya. Uh, Anyway, interesting, interesting that, Keith, uh, it's a really intriguing thing because if you allow yourself, I know the knee-jerk reaction. Come on. You know, I'm going to live with my three sisters and we're going to have abortions and do this. I know the knee-jerk reaction. Well, that's just horrible. Well, of course it's horrible. I mean, we're not talking about what's horrible and what's not, what's sin and what's not, what's accepted and what's not. I believe in teaching the scripture and what it says. What it says is sin, I teach is sin. But there is a difference when it comes to dealing with people who claim Christ, say they know and love him, say they have the spirit and say they read the Bible. I cannot determine for them and no one else can either. Not the guy up on North Temple, not the pontiff in the Vatican. No one else gets to say this is how you need to understand that because they're all at odds with each other. We are responsible. If someone has truly the spirit, if someone truly has received Christ, if somebody truly reads the Bible, I leave it up to God to be able to move them in the proper places. And along the way, most of us, if not all of us, stumble and fall. And we go to the abortion clinic, maybe. Or we pick up the third sister wife for an occasion. And we go back. Whatever it is. I'm just using it as an example. We, whatever it is, it's all sin. And that's the point. All right, that was a good call. I I, I liked it. Um, Let's go to, um, I wanted to pass along something that you touched on a little bit regarding the fire of God. I'm going to show two passages that I believe show that the fire of God will save every man. Now, just want to say I am convinced that God will save every human that ever lived and will live. We are all saved from the lake of fire? Nope. We are saved from the law of sin and death, Romans 6.23, Romans 8.2. I really see it just as a matter of timing when all will experience the scourging of God's fire and then become fellow heirs with Christ. He takes it to an extreme. I don't agree with the fellow heirs with Christ part, but he takes it there. His judgment produces righteousness, Isaiah 26, 9. And in the end, his mercy triumphs over judgment, James 2, 13. I do love that. Here are the passages I pray the Spirit will guide. It's from Jordan in Oceanside, California. 1 Corinthians three, thirteen 13 through 15. Every man's work shall be made manifest. Every man he highlights there. For the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he has built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved yet so as by fire. That's interesting uh, how he interprets that. He's saying that they're going to be purged out by the fire of God, and that is how they will be saved, but the Scripture says that. It doesn't say, but he himself should be saved, yet so by the blood of Christ. We know that's implied. He says they're going to be saved after being purged through the fire. It's an interesting uh, interpretation. He also gives Mark 9, 49. It says, for everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Those are the two passages he use, uses to suggest that all people will. Uh, my friend Dave taught me the other day that uh, when John the Baptist came, he said that the one who comes, that I'm not even worthy to tie his shoe, speaking of Jesus, he will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And uh, and how both of those come into play. My interpretation of that uh, is that if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit here, which is what the baptism Jesus came to bring, you will enter a life of fire, of being purged. And that's what that process was on the board that we talked about earlier. You'll mourn and you'll be poor in spirit and you'll become meek and you go through the cycle. But if you don't here, and you're not baptized with the fire, uh, by the Holy Spirit here and then with fire. You will be baptized by fire first after this life in the lake of fire. And it's interesting, it's called a lake, isn't it? It's a lake of fire where you will be baptized unto Jesus' death. And then afterward, I believe that's when people will receive the Holy Spirit and then enter reconciled into God's presence. So that's how I interpret the scripture, wrong as it may be to most people. I agree with Jordan. I agree with Dave on the concept of what fire and the Holy Spirit are being used for, and that is to bring us to God, all possible, only possible because of Christ Jesus, whom we adore and worship and lift up, uh, God on earth. And, you know, at this time of year, we're going to wrap it up. Join us next week. But uh, have a safe time. Uh, Best of luck with everybody. Try to uh, enjoy people's um, Um. visiting of your homes and your meals together and share love. And uh, don't bash, try not to bash people over the head with repentance and Jesus and just show them the love. Uh... Someone calling now, but we're out of time. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm on a ride Going
1: nowhere I am an existential cowboy On the wind And I won't become This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know And I can feel the light till monkeys start.